Thank you for listening to the Servants of Grace podcast today. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe, leave a rating on the app, and share our episode with your friends and family. If you'd like to, you can follow us on Instagram at Servants of Grace, on Twitter at Servants of Grace, or by searching Servants of Grace on Facebook. You can also find this podcast on the front page of our website at servantsofgrace.org. Well, welcome back to the Servants of Grace Theology segment. My name is Dave, and I'm the host for this show. And today, one of our listeners writes in, they have a great question, and the question is this. What does it mean that God is transcendent? Well, divine transcendence and eminence are the related Christian doctrines that while God is exalted in his royal dignity and exercises both control and authority in his creation— that is his transcendence, he is by virtue of this control and authority very present to his creation, especially in a personal and intimate way that is in his eminence. Divine transcendence and eminence are the related Christian doctrines that they speak of God's authority control over his creation and his people as king. God's transcendence is seen in that he is exalted in his royal dignity and he exercises both control and authority in his creation. Divine transcendence does not mean that he is so far from and other than his creation that we're not able to understand his self-revelation in the word of God or relate to him in any way. Divine eminence is the description of his kingly control and his authority because he rules over creation. He is present through the whole creation, especially to his people in a personal, in a covenantal way. And so rather than describing God in an impersonal way, the doctrine of transcendence and eminence describes the royal dignity, the presence of the God who came to be among his people in Jesus Christ, Emmanuel, God with us. So the terms transcendence and eminence, they're not found in most versions of scripture, but they hold the common theological literature to designate two different kinds of relationship between God and human beings. In general, to say that God is transcendent is to say that he's exalted, he's above, he's beyond us. To say that God is eminent is to say that he is present in time and space, that he is near to us. There is no biblical term that captures all of what theologians want to say about God's transcendence, but the idea of eminence is helpfully summarized in the term Emmanuel, God with us. So let's talk about the ways in which God is transcendent now. For, for though the term transcendent is, is not itself in the Bible, it is a convenient way of grouping together biblical ideas. Scripture speaks of God as exalted in Psalm 57 and 97. He dwells in heaven above, Deuteronomy 4.39 and Ecclesiastes 5.2, even above the heavens in Psalm 8.1 and 57 verse 5. He is enthroned on high in Psalm 113 verse 5. Indeed, he is himself the most high, Psalm 97 verse 9 says. And so transcendent is a convenient term to summarize the ways in which God is above us. Some 
uh, ancient and even modern authors, writers, have taken God's transcendence to mean something else. They think that it, that it means that God is so far above us, so very different from anything on earth, that we can say nothing or nothing positive about him. He transcends our language. And so anything that we say about him is utterly inadequate. In modern theology, this, this concept leads to a skepticism about the adequacy of Scripture itself as a revelation of God and the ability of human beings to say anything about God with real assurance. John Frame says in his book, The Doctrine of, of God, on page 110. But Scripture itself never connects God's transcendence with human uncertainty about God, let alone skepticism. And while affirming the transcendence of God, Scripture speaks in very clear and certain language about his nature, about his actions. In fact, when God reveals himself from heaven, he reveals himself very clearly uh, so that those who reject him have only themselves to blame. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power, his divine nature, having been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. And so they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. And so it's wrong to think of God's transcendence as a kind of cloud hiding God from the human mind. To be sure, there are passages in Scripture that emphasize God's incomprehensibility, his mystery, such as in Romans eleven thirty-three 33-36, it says, Oh, the depth of the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments, how, and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has been his counselor, or who has even given him a gift that he might be repaid? For from him, and through him, and to him are all things. To him be the glory. Amen. And yet this passage does not speak of God's transcendent existence on high, but about God's ways in history described in Romans 1. And what is mysterious in this passage is his eminence, not his transcendence. As we saw earlier, Paul had spoken in Romans about the clarity of the revelation of God in Romans 1. In granting the mysteriousness of God's action in history, Paul is still able to speak of the mystery in clear human language. And he tells the Roman church what it is they do not know and why they do not know it. The unknowns are the the known unknowns. And the mystery is always a mystery about a God who is otherwise clearly known. And so how then should we define God's transcendence? If it's not a barrier to our knowledge of God and our our clear speaking about him. Well, the biblical language of God on high or even in heaven refers uniformly to God's royal dignity. He is on high in the sense that the king's throne is high above his subjects. And so heaven is a way to refer to God's throne in Isaiah 66 verse 1. See, God transcends the space as he transcends time. 
He does not literally dwell on a material throne as, as Solomon observes at the consecration of the Jerusalem temple in 1 Kings 8.27. But there are certain places in the creation where God has ordained that, that we will sense his presence with a particular intensity. Like the burning bush in Exodus 3, the inner courts of the temple, and indeed the person of Jesus Christ, God's temple incarnate. Heaven is one of those places, a literal dwelling place of God far up in the sky to which Jesus ascended when his earthly work was done. But to say that God is on high is not primarily to speak of his presence in any of these places. It is to speak of why he has the right even to dwell in such places. They are his throne. He sits on them because he is the rightful king. And so if we use uh, choose to use the term transcendence to refer to God. We should re- use it to refer to his lordship, to his power, to his rights over everything that he has made. These lordship the, and these powers are his control, his authority, John Frame says in the doctrine of God. And, and first his control, he's the lord, he's omnipotent, he has a right to do everything. He has full control over the world that he's made. The Psalms, for example, celebrate his kingship, praising the strength to which he controls his dominion. His authority may be understood as his control over the moral sphere, but it also needs to be possible to understand God's control as his authority over everything that happens. And still, in our usual philosophical discourse, we generally see the term control in terms of physical causation and authority as an imposition of moral obligation. So control then represents might and authority represents right. As God's control, so his authority is a is an implication of his lordship. Exodus 20, 1 through 3 says, I am the Lord your God. Who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, you shall have no other gods before me. Leviticus 19, uh, 1 through 4 says, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to all the congregation of the people of Israel, and say to them, You shall be holy, for I, the Lord, I, the Lord your God, am holy. Every one of you shall revere his mother and father, and you shall keep my Sabbaths. I am the Lord your God. Do not turn from idols or make yourself any gods of cast metal. I am the Lord your God. And through the Leviticus text, the refrain, I am the Lord your God, is repeated 15 times to reinforce the truth that Israel's law is based on the authority of God's lordship over them. And so we can define transcendence as God's lordship over the world with particular reference to his royal prerogatives of control and authority. So you see, God's transcendence does not mean that he is hidden from his people. It means the opposite. And since his transcendence governs all the events of creation and his authority governs all his creatures, he is the most visible being in the universe. As Paul says in Romans 1.20, his revelation is clear. God's control and authority are such that he is present, he is eminent in all of the creation. And we know that God's transcendence is is not some kind of opposite to the transcendence of God, some paradoxical negation of transcendence. Rather, it is the implication of his transcendence. And so God's transcendence is a way of saying and referring to his lordship over the world. 
But you see, lordship does not confine God to a sphere beyond knowledge. Indeed, it refers to the way he rules our world of our history and our experience. He controls the events of nature and history, including the course of our salvation from sin and through the person and work of Christ, we must say. And so he expresses his authority by proclaiming to us his commands. And so God's lordship is his covenant relation to the world that the Lord has made, particularly to the persons in it. It is not just a relationship of control and authority, but also of presence with his covenant partners. The heart of the covenant is a relationship of intimacy, and the chief of the promise of the covenant is the word of the Lord, I will be with you. Exodus 6, 7 says, I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God, who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. The intimate relationship, the heart of the covenant, resounds throughout Scripture. You see, because he is our God, and we are his people, he is to be with us forever. He is our Emmanuel. And so the importance of this divine human intimacy, we cannot say enough about it. It is at the heart of our relation with God in Christ. And we need to avoid two errors as we talk about this. First, we cannot fall into mysticism or even pantheism. This notion that this eminence eliminates the distinction between the creator and the creature so that we become God or that he becomes indistinguishable from us. Our relationship to God is always personal. It's a relationship between the divine person and ourselves as human person. And second, we must, we must not fall into the trap of deism or the notion that since God is transcendent or his nearness to us is only a figure of speech and anthropomorphism. No, God really is and truly is near to us, difficult as that might be for us to conceive. God's eminence, as we have understood it, is at the heart of biblical redemption, the very name of Jesus God with us. And so God's covenant presence is primarily with his redeemed people, but in a broader sense is with his whole creation. It is part of the whole program of salvation. In fact, there is a sense in which the entire creation will be redeemed throughout through all of Christ. Colossians 1, 15-20 says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth visible and invisible whether thrones of dominions or rulers or authorities all things were created through him and for him he is before all things and in him all things hold together and he is the head of the body of the church he is the beginning the firstborn from the dead and through him to reconcile all things to himself whether on earth or in heaven making peace by the blood of his cross so God's eminence, the covenantal presence of his lordship, is to be understood as everywhere in the universe, as well as being especially intense in particular locations. God is omnipresent. He is everywhere all at the same time, not only because he made everything and he governs everything by his plan, but because the created world serves his redemptive covenantal purposes. And so scripture does not require us to use the terms transcendent and eminent, eminence, and some misuses of those terms have brought theological uh, confusion. But if we define these concepts to express God's lordship, his covenantal relationship to his world and to his people, 
they can be used to express wonderful truths of God's word, the riches of Christ, the depths of our relationship to God. Well, I want to thank you for listening or even watching this episode of the Servants of Grace Theology segment. Until next week, may the Lord richly bless you and keep you. Thank you for listening to the Servants of Grace podcast today. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe, leave a rating on the app, and share our episode with your friends and family. If you'd like to, you can follow us on Instagram at Servants of Grace, on Twitter at Servants of Grace, or by searching Servants of Grace on Facebook. You can also find this podcast on the front page of our website at servantsofgrace.org.